So how we looking, Gath? Oh. Oh, great. Well, we haven't even started the podcast. I'm talking about shit on here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the blooper reel is going to be great. All right. So I'm going to do a quick intro and then we'll get in. See, generally, I don't have sound engineers when I do this thing. Generally, it's by like some dude in a corner yeah. <laughs> smoking a vape pen. <laughs> All right. Um, Thank you for joining us on Longest War, the podcast featuring the stories of post-9-11 veterans. I'm your host, Nick Grimes, and on this episode, we are joined by Farmy Army. Oh, man, I almost got through that. You're, you're, because you're thinking Army, so you're going Farmy. Jake, thanks for joining us today. What's up, man? So we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. I'm nervous about it. I'm excited. I am too. I would only tell this story to you. I mean that, like, in a great compliment. Well, thanks, man. Other people are going to listen to it, but... Yeah. It feels better with another dude who's been to the Corrigal. All your people are going to listen to it, right? All your soldiers? Oh, yeah. Excited about that. I think out of anything I'm the most excited about is kind of telling the story of my whole company, and I think it's really special, and I, I think it's something that, you know, nobody really knows about. I don't think any engineer group has ever gone through anything like that before. We are recording this today live from your bar, Voodoo Brewery, in Homestead, PA. Yeah, man. Uh, you're kind of a local guy, right? Like, where? let's talk a little bit about your background. Sure. Where are you from? Smaller, kind of half farm, half suburban town called Harbor Creek, outside of Erie, Pennsylvania. Pretty, like, normal upbringing, I guess. Uh, I got into the Army. Well, like, first off, I was one of those kids that, like, always had to have camo clothing when he was a little kid. Running around, playing in the woods, building forts with his buddies. And then I got super into sports and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And West Point became a dream for me. But it kind of, I don't want to say I got pushed into it, but I wasn't pushed into it in any way. My dad was doing recruiting for... General Electric company at that time, and they were given huge sign-on bonuses to vet to army officers that were just getting out of the army. And he's like, "Yo, like I've never seen these type of bonuses for these West Point dudes." And I was like, "Hey, man, this you know this is something I want to do." So it was either like Notre Dame or West Point or the Army or whatever it was going to be. Had your dad served? Did any of your family no, ever served? No, no, um, my grandpa, but like definitely not a military family. You know, it wasn't something my grandpa talked a whole ton about. What was he? You know, he was a tank mechanic. Yep. So World War II? Korea. Korea. You know, my understanding, I, I don't think he even went to Korea, you know, just, you know, spent some time back in the rear and only did it for a little bit. So essentially, you know, was like, hey, let's get a scholarship and let's do it. I, you know, wasn't from a family with a bunch of money, you know, weren't poor or anything, but I didn't want to have a whole ton of college debt and started looking at ROTC programs. I was really into swimming at that time. I was falling in love with my first girlfriend. So, and my now wife. So I didn't want to go too far and, like bumped into going and getting an ROTC scholarship here in Pittsburgh. So went to Duquesne, did an ROTC program there for four years, got commissioned and was in Afghanistan, I think like six months after, after I got commissioned political science and history. So you were an engineer, right? Yep. How did you, uh, how did you pick your branch? coming out of ROTC? Man, I wanted it. <laughs> well, so like the way that it works for, I don't know if it still does, you know, that was a long time ago at this point is that, you know, there's an order merit list put together for every cadet in the entire country. So the best cadet, which is based on like your PT scores, your grades, your score at this camp we go to, you know, in your third year, and then they put you into that big pot and then you request your three branches in the army that you want and your three duty locations. So top 10% at that time was guaranteed one of your top three and one of your top three duty stations. Then the war got crazy and I was all stoked because I was top 10, top 10%. And, but I wanted to be an infantry officer. I'd like, that's what everybody wants to be. All the, all the HUA guys want to be, you know, army infantry officer. And, uh, so I had 
you know, I was doing like ranger prep and, you know, all stoked about going to ranger school. Young, dumb, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, Piss and vinegar. Yeah, you name it. So I ended up getting a really weird set of orders to go to Fort Leonard Wood for Officer Basic. Then I was going to stay at Officer Basic and I was going to be a basic training executive officer. However, it sounds like it sucks, right? You're not going to fight the war. So I wanted to go to law school. That's why I wanted to go to Duquesne because Duquesne is a great pre-law school to go to. I wanted to be an army lawyer. The war got crazy. All my buddies were going to go overseas. I got all hua, you know, again, young, dumb, stupid, thought war was all about glory. You know what I mean? So went down to base, went down to the Fort Leonard Wood, went to officer basic course. And at OBC, you have the ability to switch orders with another guy in your class. So I had a guy who wanted nothing to do with the war that was on a fast track to Afghanistan, like the day after he like, I mean, like within one day, like he, you knew that you're graduating from officer basic course and you were going to go to Afghanistan. So we swapped orders. That was an easy sell for you. He was like, Hey man, I'll give you, he was like deal. Yeah. Oh, he <laughs> didn't even like, I think first day, I think that dude stood up and was like, hi, does anybody want to switch orders? <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a bunch of guys kind of figuring out, you know, what they were going to do. And I, I wanted it hard. Like I wanted to see combat. I wanted to be a platoon leader. I wanted to get out there and do it. Like in my mind, if I was going to be in for four years or however, like I wanted to see, I wanted to see the shit, you know? So when you switched with him, not only did you switch going to Afghanistan, but you had to take his branch as well. No. So I was already locked into engineer. Okay. So we were at officer basic, like training courses, basically where engineer officer basic training courses where you could switch up. So, okay. Yep. So, and where were you, what was your first duty assignment? Your Fort Knox? Fort Knox. Yeah. So drove from Fort Leonard Road to Fort Knox, kind of showed up. It was a really weird situation. I don't know the whole backstory, you know, but I can tell you that the rest of my battalion had deployed. There was one company left behind. So you're kind of in this empty battalion space. Privates are showing up by the bus load. We had no NCOs, kind of a, a good officer team. And we were standing up this unit. And then that company was going to deploy separately, detachment one and detachment two. It was weird to me. You know, it was like a ghost town. Everybody's like, oh, well, you're getting ready to go. You know, and I think so we deployed in, man, I wasn't there long. I want to say maybe a month or two. And Knox is a Tradoc post too. So it's so like it was even weird. weird. It was even weirder. Yeah. I think we may mention this. Like we're the, then we're the only deployable unit. And keep in mind, this is when the war on terror is like, is fucking nuts. I don't want to say the army was stretched, but like, man, our weapons were looking a little old. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? This was like 2007, right? Late, 2006, two, late, 2006. late 2006. Yeah. So we deployed to the first detachment of the 76 engineer company deployed in like mid December, 2006. And, uh, then the second detachment met us a little bit later. And even when we got into theater, I, it was a little strange, you know, we were like this new type of engineer unit that was a modular engineer unit and our, you know, we were supposed to build things. So for a little bit, we were like doing some stuff here and then, Oh, now we're going to move the company closer to the fight. And then we're going to, you know, now we're doing the company's going to move again. And, you know, kind of ended up on that first deployment. I think we were, I think the unit was really, so the unit was stood up out of nothing. It was a 19th engineer battalion. And then the 76 engineer company, like we we're just this like little group of hooahs that, <laughs> that went overseas and kind of was like, I don't know. I don't want to say the underdogs, but you know, before we knew it, we had a company headquarters at Jalalabad when it was nothing and it got, you know, it got pretty crazy after that. And I know you've been to Jalalabad too. And, you know, when we first showed up, it was not, not what it was when we left, you know, the buildup was really happening and, um, it was pretty crazy. It, it put for an engineer unit, it really put like a good mark on us that we were kind of out there doing that. It was, it was cool, man. We were throwing up bee huts and building stuff. So. So we were there right before you guys, you, I think we probably ripped out the same time you guys were ripping in. 
But when we first got Jalalabad, like, dude, it was tense, man. Yep. There, it was the battalion headquarters was there. It was uh, some of the support company elements. And there was like some random, uh, you know, battalion brigade level staff that was around. Because it was kind of like they put the that, hub. They put that brigade HQ there probably as you guys were coming in and all that kind of shit. You know, you know, when we were there, it was nothing. It was uh Three one three or three one. I can't remember. The the Marines out of Hawaii. Yeah, it was them, and we switched out with them. And then when we left, that's when like it became Fob Fenty and shit. Like there was right. no pizza After hut. Major Fenty, yeah. There was no Pizza Hut when we were there, man. Like, there was there no was pizza. A, was there a Pizza Hut? No, there wasn't a Pizza Hut there. There was when I came back in '09. There was one. There wasn't there. one, and they had like a PX and everything. It was like a dude. There was uh, concrete, brick and mortar buildings and stuff. Like it was totally different. Yeah, so we built a lot of that. So, so you guys went from Bagram to Jalalabad to Bagram to Salerno, Salerno, and so remember there was those two weird detachments. So our company kind of ended up rejoining each other. Like, if my memory serves me correct, I think we all kind of got back together in Jalalabad. It was cool, you know, and you know, kind of then from Jalalabad that became our pushing point to take all of the platoons that kind of go out within the majority of Kunar province and build things throughout at all the different fobs and all the different combat outposts that were around and saw some of the most intense fighting that I think, I, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that type Certainly of intense combat. Yeah. So, I mean, well, we, so let's color a little context. So like Jalalabad where you had like some elements there was, uh, it was small, but it was an airfield. And since it was an airfield, they had tons of rotary wing aircraft there. So they would sling out tons of equipment. It would come from Bagram to Jaff. And from Jaff, you guys would push it out to the forward elements of Kunar. So it was Kunar, Nuristan, Nangarhar province. Um, yep. So Jalalabad was that hub. And then it would go out to like Asadabad. You had guys at Asadabad, sure. I'm sure. And then yep. Blessing up north and the cop, stuff yep. like that. So how did you determine who goes to the Korangal, who goes to Blessing? Sure. So, uh, man, I didn't think about that one. So I, you know, there's bas there's three platoons and a headquarters platoon basically. And then, you know, we kind of latched each platoon on, if my memory serves me correct, onto like each one of the infantry units that were on the ground to provide them support all across it. And, you know, the first thing that we really did, you know, it was this huge initiative to get camp blessing. There've been a lot of guys I know that might listen to this that have been out to Camp Blessing. So all those brick and mortars that were there, all those B huts that were up there and everything before it was anything, we knew the 173rd was coming in to come and rip. The 173rd directive on their on their lead parties was we need places to go. So they sent us out into the places that there was nothing to make sure that there was something for the guys when they got there. So, you know, we show up at a place, it was nothing, maybe a, some concertina wire, you know, totally exposed and we would build, man. That's what we did. What month did you get there to Afghanistan? December 2006. And then, so into 2007 was... So was, 10th Mountain was still there. Our brigade was still there at the time then, right? Yeah, so, and then you guys were just about to rip out. But then yeah, some we of you left guys, in like yeah. May because we had extended. Yeah, so you guys, so then you guys caught the surge. Yeah. yeah. And you guys ended up staying a little bit later. And so we were building stuff out of Blessing. And, and then from there, you know, it became each platoon's mission to go further and further and in, like basically give the biggest fuck you to the enemy that we possibly could. So, you know, and that enemy would look down upon that small little fire base that one day was just a small little line of concertina wire with some, with some dudes in foxholes, you know, in three weeks, there's fucking buildings up there, right. you know? So in my opinion, like you've got dudes from, so, you know, three platoons, third platoon could be out at Bella. 
Second platoon could be out at the Korngal outpost. First platoon could be at, you know, Honaker Miracle or wherever it is. And like, you know, the enemy who thinks that they're going to shoot at us every single day thinks we're going to go away. Well, no, guess what? We're not going away. But to even make it more intense, I'm going to build some shit in your backyard and you're going to wake up the next morning. You're going to see a building there and you're going to say, who are these fucking dudes? Right. Some hard stand buildings. Hell yeah, dude. That's what we're going to do. Like, no tense. Like, I don't know that you can be any more hardcore about something. Like, especially in the engineer world, you know, like in the engineer world, there's, there's sappers. They go out, they blow things up, you know, they find roadside bombs like that's hardcore don't get me wrong there's also map topographers there's also road builders there's bridge builders then you got some vertical construction dudes <laughs> and like yeah like you know I, like i mean my dudes were smart and i had a lot of really hardcore dudes but i mean if there was a thousand cards that you can get when you go on a deployment, like one thing that I wanted to kind of get through in this podcast is like, let's say maybe, you know, card number one is you're a cook and like, you know, everybody has a different experience. I don't want to take away from anybody's experience on a deployment. Everybody serves honorably as long as you serve honorably. You know, you could be a cook, you could be a map topographer, you could be a assistant S3. I don't know what it is, but you know, all those cards, you know, you can draw to be whatever. The 76 engineer company took a card that wasn't even in the deck. I wanted to highlight, you know, how intense some of the combat was that my guys had seen. And, and, you know, there were two dudes, Sergeant Lonnie Stokes and Sergeant Dustin Rutledge, who I was having trouble getting these guys awards. And I still haven't, they, I don't think that they've got their combat action badges and it's the most ridiculous thing ever. And it had a lot to do with army bureaucracy. And, you know, I submitted an award for those dudes at the end of my deployment to get it. And the two of them who were out in the Korangal outpost for probably longer than anybody, the two of them, not just not combined had seen 152 firefights or ticks troops and contacts had been in 152 ticks within our entire deployment. That's a sustained rate of combat that other units haven't seen. My specific story, so I was attached to the second of the 503rd, which was kind of spread out through Korangal, Restrepo, Vegas, Firebase Vimoto. I moved my platoon headquarters or like the four bunks that we had in one of the brick and mortars with just kind of a place when I could get my squads to reset. You know, basically we just kind of came in and out of there and that was it. So we'd go out and, you know, at this point, you know, I think like everybody's seen the movie, you know, or at least seen a little bit about it. So it's like my, my guy's goal was like, after like it was dug in, like get up there and we're going to go put a hut up there. So like you put a, a fire base in the middle of nowhere that is completely exposed to enemy fire. And then the 76 engineer company, we would get up on top of roofs and build them in front of it and return fire when we needed to. And that's, that's what it became. It was, it was a wild experience, man. I still look back at it and like, how long did it Holy take shit. To, to build Restrepo? I, I put a half squad up there to give them a little bit more. Like, so the infantry went in on that project specifically. They went in and they dug in. So they dug in, you know, they, they basically overtook that area at night. And then, you know, I think maybe about four or five weeks later, I sent some guys up there. We were able to get some sling loads of material up there. We went up there and we put them up there and they, they you know, just did a couple little huts to get some guys dry and fill sandbags and do all those type of things. Because, you know, like some of the guys' skills that I have, like, you know, in the U.S. Army, everybody's a warrior. You know, we'll get up there and if somebody shoots at us, like, we're going to shoot back. You know, we're not, that's, that's what we do. But also like I had electricians, so you know what I mean? So like, you know, if I have an electrician, you know, he's probably a little bit better making sure that captain Kearney's talk on the Korngal outpost is, is powered than filling sandbags at Restrepo. And so, you know, so I'd have, you know, squads or teams kind of spread out throughout, you know, towards the end of the deployment, it was kind of like Korngal outpost, Vegas, maybe a guy or two at Vimoto, maybe a squad back at Blessing resetting, and then maybe a half squad back at Jalalabad or whatever it was, kind of spread throughout. And that was, that was you know, a year of my life, 2007. It was wild. How would you say that that year of your life has impacted the rest of it? Whew, man. I mean, we've talked about this before. I think like I live my life with a totally different 
sense of intensity um, because I'm on borrowed time, dude. You know, sometimes I look back at that and like think, my God, like, how am I alive? Like the first time that I was in the Korngal, I mentioned this to you the other day too. I know I keep saying we mentioned this, but you know, it's, I wanted to make, you know, we talked about a bunch of things kind of trying to get it done. It's like first time that I put eyes on the Korngal, I was like, what do you think of this place? It was like, this is where I die. That's it. And like you and I can laugh about it, but like at that time you're like, oh fuck man, this is it. Like here it is. And the chances of being overrun here are real. I'm like one of four or five officers inside this entire AO and you know, that's it. So, you know, now I'm an entrepreneur and you know, I start businesses and man, like I'll meet a new business partner and he'll be like, Jake, dude, you were, you're intense, dude. Like when you lock onto something, you lock on. I'm like, yep, that's exactly it. Cause like at the end of the day, like the fact that I'm sitting here doing this podcast is pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. It's, it's also, it's kind of scary. Like, uh, not just the cop, but even like blessing, right? Like another tour I did, we were at Joyce, like these remote places, man, like they're people understand like how secluded they are. You're several hours drive from anything and you're at least an hour's flight from anything. Like you're in the middle of the wilderness and you're alone, man. It's just the guys around you. Right. Yeah. Shit got real. I mean, the Taliban and, you know, whoever you want to say the bad guys were, they started getting real good while we were there. Like sometimes I mention this to people, I'll be like, I got the utmost respect for Taliban fighters. And they're like, oh, the f like what? I'm like, those dudes are badasses. They're amazing fighters. And, you know, I think like early 2007. And then when the snow broke that year, that's when all shit broke loose. I mean, that was like, it wasn't, am I going to get shot out today? It was like, what time am I going to get shot at today? And let's see how many, how many times I'm going to get shot at or blown up throughout the day. They got good and they started almost overrunning some of our bases. Right. And it got disciplined, right? Like dis they, smart, disciplined. I think you were telling me one time, I don't know, you were driving up there and there was an ambush and they started to move and you were like, holy shit, I recognize this. I recognize this from OBC. Like, <laughs> I, I know what this maneuver is. Yeah. I mean, they were setting, there were guys that were setting, I mean, they were obviously well-planned, like battle drill, one out alpha, you know, ambushes that were happening on a consistent basis. And I think their ability to kind of test our tactics and what we would do to them is maybe one of the most disciplined things. Cause it's real easy to attack somebody, right? Well, it depends on who you are. It's real easy to attack somebody, but to attack them in like a very direct manner to see how you're going to react and then lay off and kind of, kind of retreat. Like that's discipline. That's smart. So like I was making a joke and I still kind of laugh about it. Uh, the guy who actually gave me my platoon, he was the officer before those names, Captain Scott Rao. You know, good friend of mine, we we're laughing about it, like, hey, Jake, when was the last time you got in a vehicle and like something didn't tink? And I was like, man, I don't know. I mean, sure, I'd been in vehicles where like somebody wasn't taking pop shots at us. But I mean, you could tell like I, they're great fighters and they were intense. And, you know, you got to think about it like, you know, we were I don't want to say like oversupplied, but we had things that they didn't. Right. Like soldiers get tired. Yeah. Imagine being a Taliban fighter with sandals like with sandals that, you know, in the winter, no cold in weather the winter here. and going after it day after day, going to fight, you know, going to fight Americans. And you got to understand like those dudes, you know, when they would take a shot at us, you know, we we're calling in a tens, you know, infantry, infantry officer, whoever, you know, JTAC, whoever calling in, you know, a tens to come Apaches got you've got twos coming in there, dropping. You've got, yeah. I mean like, and that's, you know, like looking back at that experience around 2007, like and this, you know, you try to like categorize what the battlefield was like for me and for my guys at, at all of the locations, right? Like it wasn't like a here, like a couple pop shots in here. It'd be like, all right, A-10's in route. Okay. You know, F6 fast movers in route, you know, okay, cool. Willie Pete in route. Okay, cool. Uh, predator drone on station. Cool. Right. You know, and just dropping the smack like every single day. And I'm not talking like a little bit of like, it was real kinetic war. Like I think that some people, you know, 
going back to, I don't want to take away from anybody's story, but you know, some guys, they, they go to Iraq or, you know, maybe they were in Kandahar or whatever. And they, you know, a little bit smaller stuff and IED is kind of your number one threat. That is not what we had going on. We had real, like real war, right. you know, a lot of small arms, tons of small arms. I mean, I don't know a single day throughout like the summer of 2007 where, you know, back at camp blessing is where the, you know, howitzers one, one fives were. Those things fired and supported us every single 24 day. Twenty-four hours a day, you know, stuff that you see in the movies, like "Hey, calling in for artillery and all the crazy shit," you know, and then it does it. And so, how do you even? I think like we got you know down on this. You know, how has it affected me in my my life now? Like, so like intensity, but how do you? Like, I don't even know how to describe that to people. Like, how do you look at people and be like, "Yeah, man, I've been deployed." You know, so like we've talked a whole bunch of times. You know, so I like got back and after I got done with my last deployment, it was right when Restrepo. The movie had came out and it was extremely popular. It was on Net Geo every five minutes. So I can watch my combat on Net Geo. Right. That's not easy. Do you sure. know what I mean? And then like it really sucks sitting down at a bar and you're like, oh dude, you're you know, maybe I still had a high and tight. I kept it for as long as I could. <laughs> you know, and like this dude sits down next to you and your buddy's like, Hey, I'm gonna buy you a beer, man. Good to see you home. And this dude goes, Oh, are you in the military? And you're like, Yeah, man, you know, good to be home. And you're trying to be normal and you're trying to adjust. And he goes, Have you seen Restrepo? So how what do you do with that? I mean, I think I've probably done it a hundred different ways. I've I've A been like Kinda. I've been, I've been like, oh yeah, man, great movie. Or I've been like, dude, I was there. You know what I mean? To try and Depending tell us. Depending on how many drinks you would have had at that point. Well, I mean, not only that, like, I mean, just to get people to like, I don't know. How do you tell your wife? How do you tell your family? Like, you know, Hey, my experience is, is a lot different from what most people have done. My unit's experience was a lot different than people have done. Then there's this movie or, you know, any of these other things that have came out and like, you have to sit there and, you know, do you over justify because you want people to know what you've been through or do you not want them to know? And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this today. You know, it's kind of important to put it out there. So were you married before you deployed? No. So she got married after. Yep. Long-term girlfriend came home after my first deployment to Afghanistan, proposed, went to Iraq after that, came home, got married. When the movie came out, what were your thoughts? Were you like, okay, I've, I, I need to show her this or... I've never showed her. No? Nope. You're not afraid she'll see it somewhere else? No. I mean, I wouldn't say that like I'm afraid of it or like not afraid of it. I just like, I haven't, I still, so I'm out almost seven years. I still haven't processed like you want to talk about like watching Restrepo and stuff like that's, that's cool. And it's really well done. And you know, it's an amazing film. Everybody should watch it at some point, but like, dude, I can go have a couple beers and Google Korangal outpost firefights and I can get juiced. Right. I can sit there and I, I can feel that same adrenaline again that I had for a sustained period of time. There's a shit ton of YouTube videos out there. Hell yeah. You know, so for me, you know, it's not really about showing my wife or not. It's about that. I haven't even begun to process that that's a kind of what I, I, mean, I shouldn't say I haven't begun to process because I'm sitting here talking about it now, but you know, Hey, here's this. So this is actually something famous. People have written books about it. They're going to continue to write books about it. Cause there's like, God knows how many medal of honors, <laughs> you know, from out in that province. Right. So even the guy who's not a military guy is sitting back and being like, so what the fuck happened in sure. Kunar province? And you're like, well, you know, it was the real deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what happened out there? And then you know, let's write more books and let's keep doing it. And, you know, just going back to, I mean, it was one of the reasons I think that there's been a, an undermention of, you know, what the engineer effort was out there. And I, I want all my guys that listen to this, you know, I'd posted this on Facebook and said, Hey boys, I'm going to do this. And, you know, I want them to feel validated. You know, it's important to me. They went through things that no, like, and I told them that when they came back, you know, so we got back from that first deployment, we were thrown back into a battalion who didn't know us very well. They had all gone to Iraq. They had a very different deployment. 
you know, and I pulled that in from these guys and I, I, you know, I said, Hey, you guys are, you guys are special. Don't let anybody tell you that they're like, we have older weapons or something like that, but they need to know. And, and I think that it's important to note that I don't know that there's been that many other construction units that have done things like that. I have not done the research, but it's, it has to be, it has to be very few. Man, it has, to, it has to be different. Yeah. It has to be a different situation. So to go back to something you said earlier in the, in the uh, podcast, like the way you framed it, it, it was kind of badass, right? Like it's like, listen, motherfucker, if you shoot at me, I'll shoot back at you. But the second you stop, I'm going to go back to building this goddamn building Yep. because we're going to be here for a while. I think I tried to get one of my uh, specialist Harrison. I know he'll listen to it. How you doing there, Jay? I tried to get him a purple heart because he was getting shot at by a sniper while he was doing a roof on top of a building at the Korangal and he jumped off the building and sprained his ankle. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, this, no, he's getting a purple heart, man. Like the enemy sure. did that to him. Yeah. It, it didn't fly. You know what I mean? But like at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think that there's anything that's like fiercely that American, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to go on this, this night patrol. Okay. At night to go get to a different fire base or whatever, maybe get shot at, maybe not. Who knows? And then I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to build things. I'm going to wait for you to shoot at me. And then when you're done, I'm going to get up on top of that roof and body armor and I'm going to go right back to it. It's, it's like the most, like there's no American will that like, that is the definition of American. Right. Will. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. man. It was tough. We built all those buildings. And then, um, we talked about that stupid YouTube video when they turned over the Korangal outpost to, yeah. How to was the bad the, guys? How was the units respond? Like how were your buddies? How did they respond? Oh man, we've, we've all talked about that. I don't think that there's been a single thing that I have watched. Like, I don't even think I've talked to Like, I've never even like told my, like my wife about it. Been like, you have no idea what I just watched. Cause how do you even display that to her? You're like this thing that you literally bled over is now being turned over to the men who tried to kill you and your guys for an entire year. And the U.S. government decided that we are going to withdraw from this area. And then those Taliban fighters, I practically recognize some of those pricks <laughs> walking throughout your space, you know, and it was space that we defended. You right. know, I talked, I mentioned like, you know, the threat of being overrun. I mean, there were fire bases around us. Like, thankfully it never, you know, I didn't get to that point, but the, it was a real threat. I mean, we were defending, you know, ourselves and it was, you know, your guy to your left and your right, you are in the absolute middle of nowhere. And these guys were good. And then they pop that thing on YouTube, turning it over to the bad guys, man, with our ammo around their neck right. in the building that I built. Right. Cause like over the course of the, what, whatever, three years it was open. I mean, we lost a lot of guys in that Valley. What can we say? Four dozen. It's a lot. Four or five it dozen. Was, a bunch. There was a bunch from 10th Mountain. There was a bunch from 173rd. Well, it's crazy, uh, it huh? Was just, it, it's so just painful to see. It's like, well, and it almost is like, well, what was the fucking point of that? What was the point of that? And like, I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I've looked at, you know, for myself and I'm for now, like whatever reason, I don't know if it's because I just had a little girl, you know, and I've, I've been out long enough, but I totally, after that experience, devalued human life, you know? So like, hey, dude, Sergeant Smith got whacked fuck them. You know what I mean? Like, and like, that's the kind of attitude that, you know, I think a lot of people had almost because it's how you cope with it. Like, sure. Hey, your buddy just got whacked, you know, buddy just got hit by an ID, buddy just got shot, you know, all those type of things. And you know, there's those moments when you have that memorial service, but like after it, it's almost like, Oh, you know, it's dickhead, you know what I mean? Or like whatever it is. And like, you know, so then even going into my second deployment felt the same way. And then Cause you don't have the time out there to like process and grieve and do all that shit. So you got to deal with it in this weird fucking way just so yeah. you can get back to doing your job. How many guys died defending the Korngal outpost? And then you can, you can go watch it on YouTube. See the bad guys get it without a fight. Right. Like, here you go. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. So you go from like, what is truly the wild, wild west in Afghanistan to your second tour in Iraq. Yeah. What, what were the differences in those tours? I chose it 
I had kind of made a decision I was going to get out. Mentally, my future wife and I, and you know, I was, I was ready to get out. I didn't want my time to be any staff time. You know, I was like, dude, I, I want to be hardcore. You know, I want to get out there and get it. And I was going to watch my platoon redeploy to Afghanistan. You know, so that experience that I've just described to you over however long ago, I mean, you can absolutely tell how tight some sure. of us probably were. I tried really hard not to be the typical prick officer. You know what I mean? I feel like I was close with a lot more of my guys than, than some of them were. And I was going to pick up like some assistant S3 time on a deployment and watch my platoon get out there and get it again in Afghanistan. And I, I couldn't stomach it, but I also couldn't stomach to be a desk guy on a deployment. I volunteered for a deployment to Iraq on a MIT team. So I went over trained Iraqi security forces. So I was home for like six, seven months, I think, and then went right over to Baghdad. Totally different deployment. It was unbelievable. Like I had my own desk. I had a phone. I called home every other day. An amazing gym. I got in like the best shape of my life. I ate well, never fired a shot, and was on like this 12-man team. And we spent more time in up-armored SUVs than we did in Humvees. You know, it was just a really, really different deployment. And it was, I, I think that some people would look at it and be like, holy shit, dude, like you're driving in a up-armored SUV that's something like the president would rock in, you <laughs> right. know, through Baghdad, you're hardcore, dude. But f coming off of what I had just kind of come off of, like I was almost laughing at it and I, I, I was just so numb. I mean, so I, I did a total of, I think 36 months deployed over my four years that I did active duty. That's a lot of deployment time. And then, you know, coming from Kunar province, getting right into that. And I didn't give a shit. You know, I wasn't, I probably made some mistakes on that deployment. My second deployment, you know, I was probably a little bit more pushback against some of my, you know, people that were in charge of me, you know, all those type of things, but I just didn't care. I was like, I just almost died a hundred times, <laughs> literally, you know what I mean? And now, so here I am kind of in this small team and, you know, let's, let's, let's get it done. I had a, I was, the, I got real close with our team medic. So we we're like a 13, 12 or 13 man team. And he had been deployed about just as much as me. A lot of the other guys that were on our team hadn't been deployed as much as us, man, we would catch a mortar in the green zone. And, you know, like, and, and I, like if, if there's a mortar, like anywhere in the green zone, you know, the sirens go off and everybody shuts down. Right. We didn't give a shit. So like you'd be seeing like the National Guard guys because it was kind of on the drawdown. They'd be like throwing on their their Kevlar's and like going into bunkers. Me and my doc would be like, dude, no line in the chow hall. Right. <laughs> and we'd go like go stroll over to the chow hall so there'd be no line. Like while mortars were coming, because I just I just think at that time we just didn't care. You sure. know, I, I think we had reached a point where it was like, hey, like I'm either gonna die or I'm not gonna die. I've spent so much time at this point in a combat zone. You know what's what's real and what isn't. Yeah. So there it is. Great food, that deployment, dude. I had Baskin-Robbins. It was, it was rad. It was really rad. It was cool. All right, so we'll fast forward a bit to present day. What are you up to these days? You, so I got, okay, let me unpack that a bit because you're doing a lot of shit. Other than voodoo, brewery, what are, what are some other ventures you're into these days? I still do some private project management for people around town. So I've been a career construction guy for a long time. Um, sometimes charities will pick me up, do a little bit of work for them. I'm not doing much. You know, I had a brutal 2016. My daughter was in the hospital a lot, so I haven't been doing as much of it as I used to. I'm kind of just now getting back into it. I am trying really hard to get a, a veterans project off the ground. I don't know where we are at it right now. I expect it to go further, though. We need a place, man. Dude, the post 9-11 veteran needs a place to hang out, you know, and every other war that's been started in, in the past, there's always been an American Legion, a VFW, uh, whatever it is. We don't have that. I think we're really missing it. I would love to get one here in Pittsburgh. Lots of development coming on it soon. It's something that I really want to push. But at the end of the day, I want to continue to do things that are incredibly challenging. 
and are in like new exciting markets, you know? So I'm an entrepreneur like, and, and I want to do new things. I want to keep kicking ass doing it. And that's, that's it. So you talk about like the other generations of vets, they had like the VFW, the Legion, stuff like that. And like, those are still here, but they don't really appeal to a lot of post 9-11 vets, right? They don't. I've had the door slammed on me before. You know, right when I got back to Pittsburgh, right after my first deployment, it was a tough transition for me. It was just totally weird. I was living by myself, apartment in Shadyside, waiting for my wife to move back. I walked into a VFW and I was just like, hey, like, you know, what do I got to do to hang out here for a little bit? And there's like five dudes. All VFW posts are different. I'm sure there's people that love the VFW. Don't get me wrong. I'm just telling you my experience. Went to the VFW and, you know, dude like grumbled at me as he like took a drag on his like, you know, Marlboro 100. (laughs) Membership dude ain't here. You know what I mean? I was like, dude, I just got back from Iraq like 10 days ago, man. You know, anyway, I could like hang out. Sorry, dude. He's not going to be here until later. All right. Screw you. I think a lot of the guys in my unit, they should know that they're super lucky to be here and that we had an awesome experience. And, you know, don't let those demons haunt you, man. Give me a call if you need anything. So That's awesome, man. Hey, man. Right on. Appreciate it. Yep. be the last story I'll tell, man. I was at a party in my neighborhood and whatever, how long ago. And I was hearing this dude talking about like, you know what we need? We need boots on the ground over there. We need to go get them guys over there. Gotta go get them. And I was in my mind, I'm like, dude, you have no idea. You know what? Go take your polo shirt and go find it, you know, an ACU combat uniform and go on and do it. I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for us to eliminate the enemy. Don't get me wrong. I did that for a living. It's real easy for somebody to say, yeah, we need to put boots on ground when it's not their fucking boots they're going to be on ground. 